Oh, yes. Uh, next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. If you've never been baptized, uh, you need to follow the Lord in baptism. You need to come grab me or Andrew this week. We, w- we would love to dunk you in, in water right here with the whole family. It's really great. Uh, it's an important part of being Jesus' disciple. Amen? All right. Hey, uh, if you want to open up your Bible, that's the word, to Acts chapter 10. We're going to continue our series here. Our September series called Big and Small. What we're trying to investigate in this series is we're trying to investigate the ways in which the grace of God operates in different kinds of church gatherings. There are large church gatherings, large gathered worship, and then there's smaller gathered worship. And we're trying to investigate the ways in which each of these is important in our lives. You can't just have one and really become a fully formed disciple of Jesus. You need both. There are some people who are like, you know what we need to do? We need large gather worship. We need to do like big events, get lots of people to come, maybe preach the gospel to a lot of people. And those are good. But the truth is, if you only have large gathered worship, you're never going to get everything that you need. And you probably won't make it. I'll just be quite honest. You probably won't make it. There are some other people who say, you know what we don't need? We don't need large gathered worship. It's just it becomes about money and a bunch of money grubbing pastors. And we want to steal from us and beat the sheep up and take everything away and Really what we need to do is we need to, we need to have small gathered worship. We just need to meet in homes. We need to do it like they did in the book of Acts. And we just need to get together and maybe eat a meal and hang out. And they're right, but the truth is you need more than that as well. You need connection with the larger body of Jesus. Jesus' body is more than just the eight or nine people who might be in your home or the two super cool friends that you have where you meet at Starbucks. And, you know, we just have church, man. We drink a beer. We just have church just a couple of us we're just chilling yeah you know you need more than that you need spiritual authority in your life you need somebody to to kick you in the pants and bring you along and to and to show you what's up and you you can't have either or you need both and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to investigate all the ways that the grace of god works in various forms of gathered worship we need large gathered worship and we need small uh the truth is if you're here this morning, uh, you're obviously beginning to find your spot in what it means to experience the grace of God in large gathered worship. I hope that while we were worshiping this morning, you were beginning to experience the grace of God. Have you all experienced the presence of the Lord this morning? See, it's important. It's important to be a part of large gathered worship, especially in worship, especially when we give our hearts to the Lord in music. Because one of the things that you find out subconsciously in large gathered worship is that your faith walk isn't just your faith walk, it's our faith walk. It's not just me and Jesus, it's us and Jesus. It's a really profound thing. I'm not just a son of God, but I'm a brother and I'm a sister. That's a profound thing and it works against this American idea that, you know, it's just me and Jesus. My faith is something that's very private to me. You hear the politicians say that a lot of times. Oh, my faith is very personal. That's good. But it's also supposed to be corporate as well. Um, And we hope that as you're finding your spot in large gathered worship, that you're beginning to find your spot in smaller gathered worship. And we hope through this series that you'll be be encouraged and you will feel uh, led to become a part of one of our community groups. Because one of the things that I can't say enough or stress enough as a pastor here at the Vineyard is you need connection at a more intimate level you've got to have it to make it um the bible says that the church of jesus is a body and it's really ingenious it's part of the uh, the genius of jesus is really the way i look at it 
uh, when, when Paul describes the church as a body. Because really what he's getting at is that every person here is important and every person here has a function. Part of the genius of the church is that not everybody has everything. No one has everything. But at the same time, no one has nothing. Does this make sense? Everyone in the room has something, but no one in the room has everything. And what that means is, is that you're important for the person sitting next to you. And you're, person, you're important for the person sitting across the room. You're actually important for the person sitting across the room that you really don't like that much and you try to avoid. Uh, there are hidden reservoirs and there are hidden resources in this room that are strategic for you being able to make it in Jesus in the future. You need it. Like, like part of your healing is in another person in this room. And as I was meditating on this this week, just how we need each other, how we can't live isolated lives, and how the further we come into Jesus, uh, it's really the more that we become a part of his body. Here's the thing. It is impossible to be an intimate disciple of Jesus and be increasingly disconnected from his church. Jesus is a sweet community within, within himself. God, Father, Holy Spirit, they love each other. And community is a natural expression of the kingdom. As you develop as a disciple, you will come closer to Jesus. If you find yourself moving in more and more isolation, guaranteed, red flag, you are not following Jesus somewhere. And so as I was meditating on this need for us to become disciples, this need for us to have increased connection to the body this week, I was reminded of an encounter I had several months ago where I was hanging out with one of the men here at the church, and we were just sharing some time together. And while we were sharing time together, this man shared his weakness with me. And it wasn't his fake weakness. It wasn't his, oh, you know, Pastor Adam, I just really need to confess it. I really need to say that. I really need to confess it. You know, I'm not always nice to everyone. You know, it wasn't that. It was his real brokenness. It was his real, dark, it was his real darkness and it was his real sin. And it was a really great moment. It was a really hard moment. It was a really great moment because... As we were sharing fellowship there together, um, the light came on. So someone who was in the darkness and someone who had issues that were kept in a closet, those, 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 those things got exposed to the light of Jesus. And that's great. The really hard part is, is that someone exposed their weakness to someone else. And I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but we are conditioned to not want to expose our weakness to other people. Not just me, it's everyone in this room. No one in here loves sharing their weakness with one another. We don't. And the reason that you don't love sharing your weakness with another person is very simple. It's because we believe that our value comes from our ability to be strong, to be smart, to be wise, to make great decisions, and to kick butt. We really do. We think our value is contained in our ability to really kick butt. And to the degree that we don't kick butt, we want to hide that part of ourselves because we think that weakness... Um, diminishes our value, both into the community and then ultimately to God. But God says, God says in the book of Romans that Christ demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. So even before you had anything to, brought, to bring to the table, anything, even before you had made one good decision in your life, even, even while you were a complete train wreck, Jesus thought that you were so valuable that he'd lay his life down for you. And so we just haven't fully connected with that. And it's one of the reasons that we need community um, so you need connection because the spirit of Christ is resident in, the, in his body 
And there are portions of his spirit that are that are resident in individuals that are essential for you to be able to grab from. Uh, There's a kind of healing that will only come by revealing who you really are. The book of James says that if you will confess your sin and if you will expose your brokenness and if you will tell somebody really how dark it is in your closet, that there's a healing there for you. I think that's very interesting that there's certain kinds of healing that you will only get to the degree that you're willing to expose your weakness. Wow. You know know what's entirely possible? It's entirely possible for a gift of healing to be sitting in the church for you, and you go to that church for 30 years and never get healed. That is tragic. Why is it possible? Because it it will not happen until we become become connected enough to be able to share ourselves with one another. And how many of you realize that you're never going to share your real brokenness and your real darkness and your real issues with the dude who sits in front of you maybe every two weeks? How many of you know that it's probably not wise to share your real brokenness and your real darkness with the dude who's just occasionally sitting in front of you maybe once a month or so? How many of you realize that not everybody's safe, right? Yeah, so how do we break through that? Well, one of the ways we break through that is is we become a part of a connected community. Uh, We become a part, uh, so a part that we're able to share who we really are. Um, Here at the Vineyard, we don't do church membership. Um... We don't really have anything against it. We just don't know how to do it. And so we never really felt like investing intellectual resources and figuring out a way to do that. Uh, Church membership at the Vineyard looks like this. I described it to you this way a couple weeks ago. That uh, you know you're a member of the Vineyard when you've been here long enough that someone offended you and then you just decided to forgive them and come back. That's. And if you haven't been offended yet, just keep coming. You'll get offended. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I'll probably be the dude. You know, everybody's like, you know, don't put me on a pedestal. I'll be the first person to let you down. All right. So how do you know you're a member of the vineyard? Well, you know, you're a member when you have been offended and you decided to come back. You know, another way that you know you're a member of the church. Another way that you know you're a member of the church is when somebody else in the room really, really knows who you are. Somebody else in the room knows your darkness. Somebody else in the room knows your brokenness. And someone else in the room knows your sin. That's when you're connected. James says that if you'll confess your sins, you'll get healed. And you know you're connected and you know you're in when you have the kind of relationships here where you can tell somebody who you really, really are. That's a new definition for church membership, isn't it? Yeah, we went down to like 18 members. (laughs) I've got a huge church. It's 18 members. All right, so I want to talk to you guys this morning out of the book of Acts. All of that is just to lead us up to this point of being able to say that it's so essential. And so what I want to talk to you this morning out of Acts chapter 10 is I want to talk to you about the power of small groups. Okay, a really famous story here. If we can put it up, first seven or eight verses. Here we go. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And one day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. And he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send some men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. 
He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. Anybody in the room remember this story? Hectic story. It's a really great story. A few things we need to get all the way up first, uh, just so that we have some context for this. First thing, Caesarea. Where's that? It's a beach town. Anybody in here ever gone to Pensacola? Anybody ever gone to Myrtle Beach? What up? Yeah. That's what Caesarea was. It was a beach town. And this guy named Cornelius lived there. And Cornelius was a Roman. And this is really important. I want you to catch this. He was a Roman. And he wasn't just a Roman, but he was a Roman officer in the Roman army. And this is important because right now the Romans are oppressing the Jewish people. God had promised the Jewish people the land and he promised them Jerusalem. Rome's in control. And so here's what we've got. We've got a Roman officer of the army in the story all of a sudden. And he's about to intersect with some Jews. This is an amazing story. And so one of the things we know about uh, about Cornelius is that he was a part of the Italian regiment. He was probably one of the main leaders. And from what we can gather from history, there were 28 regiments spread across the empire. And Cornelius is one of the fortunate guys, and he got beach duty. I don't know how this worked out, but he got beach duty. So we know he's fortunate as well. And the Bible tells us that he's a God-fearing man. Uh, and that doesn't mean what it typically would maybe necessarily mean like to us in the South, like, you know, like if you say a, a man's a God-fearing man, it just means like he's kind of a good guy or whatever. It meant maybe just a little more than that. What it meant was that Cornelius believed in the God of Israel. And this is remarkable because he grew up Roman. And how many of you guys remember from like eighth grade World Civ class that the Romans had a lot of gods, right? So there's like Jupiter, he's the God of all the gods. And there's Juno, she's the mother of all the gods. And then there's Neptune, he's the God of the sea, who's on SpongeBob. And then there's... <laughs> Pluto, the god of death. And so he grew up in a world that was inundated with a myriad of gods. There was a god for everything, right? But somehow along the way, he had met the one true god of Israel and he began to give his life to that god. He gave his life. And you know what? It wasn't just an intellectual agreement either. We know from the scriptures here that Cornelius was a man of prayer and we know that he gave, gave generously to the poor. So it had touched his heart. Now, God-fearing also means another thing. It, it means that he believed and he had given his life at some level to the God of Israel, but it means that he wasn't a part of the ceremonial system, if that makes sense. So Cornelius didn't go to the temple. He didn't, he didn't sacrifice animals. Um, he, didn't, he, he didn't not eat pork. You know, he'd wake up in the morning, he'd have him some bacon. He'd have some bacon. He'd eat some sausage. Read his Bible. Eat some sausage. And it also meant that he, that he wasn't circumcised, which is a real relief for a man who's a little bit older. Just getting real. Keeping it real here at the vineyard. That may have been, You know what? Cornelius' love... I'm not going to say this. <laughs> Edit. Filtered. Man. I just filtered. It was going to be awesome. And so here in Acts chapter 10, we see a significant progression in the movement of the kingdom, that the kingdom is moving, moving outside of just something that happens in Israel, that the kingdom of God is moving outside of something that's just like this Jewish 
thing. It's, it's more than just a, a disciple thing. You know, all 12 disciples were Jews. It's, it's more than just this Jesus and Israel, Nazareth and Jerusalem sort of thing. It's beginning to expand and go out. And Jesus' prophetic word that he gave to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that it would be, leave Jerusalem, all of Judea, all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That ends of the earth part, it's happening right here. With a, with a Roman oppressor who somehow loves God. It's amazing. And so, um, I'm losing my place. And so what ends up happening here is that Cornelius has an encounter. I love this. He has an encounter. He has an angelic encounter in a vision. And amazingly, he gets specific instructions on where to go and what to do. How many of you guys would like to have angelic encounters where you get specific instructions for your life? We'll talk more about that later. Just file that. Just say, that was me. I raised my hand. <laughs> this is what's really great, is that while, while he had an encounter, he sends his men out, and while they're on their way down to Joppa, so Caesarea's up here, Joppa's on the coast as well, and it's about 30 miles apart, okay? 30 miles south. While his men are on their way to find Peter, 30 miles away, Peter has a trance. Peter has a trance, and I think we have that we can and i love this verse 10 is hysterical verse 10 and 11 i think are funny it says that he became hungry and he wanted something to eat and while the meal was being prepared he fell into a trance and by the way the trance was about food i, I don't know why i think that's funny i think it's hysterical so god was be- working with peter's like even physical body and he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners and it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds and then a voice told him Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Yeah, I'm really literal. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So Cornelius has an angelic encounter. And then while his men are on the way to find Peter, Peter has an encounter with the Lord, a supernatural encounter. He's hungry and he has a vision about food and the Lord begins to speak to him. But how many of you realize that the Lord is speaking not just about food? He's saying something way bigger than that, right? So the, the spirit tells Peter, the next part of the story is this, that the spirit tells Peter that there are men who are coming to get him and that he should go with them. That's important detail. The reason that the spirit tells Peter there are people coming to get him and that he should go with them is because Peter would not have gone with them because the men who are coming are Roman soldier Gentiles. And it would have actually been, it would have been defilement for Peter in those days for him to go with them. In fact, this is the way it worked. Uh, a Jew wouldn't even speak to a Gentile. They were to treat the Gentiles as dogs and Peter would never put even one foot in their house. And now here's what we got. We have the Lord sending Roman soldiers and Gentiles to get Peter. And I love what the scripture says. It says that after they, after the spirit spoke to Peter, Peter invites them up to his house and they spend the night and he shares a meal with them. Man, God's already at work. Like everything that Peter has ever learned or known, he puts aside because of one spiritual encounter. How many of you can radically obey like that? This is good stuff. So after that, the next morning they get up and they go back to Cornelius' house. And when Peter meets Cornelius, they share with one another the spiritual encounters that they have. And Cornelius is like, you know, I sent to get you. And the reason I sent to get you is because I had an angelic encounter, Peter. And the, and the angel told me to 
come get you. And he told me where you'd be, right where you'd be. And Peter's like, yeah, you know what? I had a trance thing and I saw like this sheet with animals and, and I was invited to kill them and eat them. And I knew I was supposed to come here and be with you. You can imagine how weird this would be. <clears throat> and then Peter preaches to them. And I love what it says in verse 34. Peter began to speak and he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. And then verse 44. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles. Hear that? Even the Gentiles. There's surprise even in the, in the writing there. For they, had heard, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in their way of being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The reason I wanted to speak out of this passage this morning is because I really wanted to communicate to our church the importance of community groups and small groups. How many of you realize that we're sitting here today because of a small group that happened 2,000 years ago. Like Peter got invited to a small group meeting and everything changed. That's literally what happened. You know, when you sign up for a home group here at the Vineyard, you're not signing up for just some like nilly-nally ragtag social gathering where you can go hang out and maybe maybe do something cool, you know. You're actually, you're actually signing up for something that could change history. And if not all of history, then it's absolutely something that's going to change your history. And I can say that from personal experience. God is oftentimes doing massive, radical things in out-of-the-way small places. And this, this goes against the American grain. And here's what I mean by that. It goes against the American grain in this. Because in America, we have Americanized Christianity. And it works like this. The Americanized version of Christianity flows out of a mindset and a worldview that says bigger is better. Bigger is better. We do the math like this. Bigger is better. Bigger is more important. And bigger is a sure sign of God's grace and favor. And to that, I would say, well, maybe. Well, maybe. And it, maybe it's not either. Because sometimes bigger is, it, it can be connected to sociological phenomenons. How many of you realize that uh, mega churches began to happen and sprout up in America at the same time the shopping mall did. What that tells me is that there's not just, it's not just a move of God, there's a sociological phenomenon connected there. Now, am I saying that there's anything wrong with, with mega churches or that God hasn't used them? No, but what I am saying is it's very clear that bigger is not always better and it's not always a sure sign of God's grace and favor. Because if bigger is a sure sign of God's grace and favor, especially connected to the size of your church, what do you tell pastors of small churches? So we have to look, we have to look very carefully about how we handle things and about how our mindsets are affecting the degree to which we're connected to Jesus' church. See, when we buy into the bigger is better mindset, one of the things it does is it, is it causes us to miss out on the God who is actually really into small. One of the things I've learned in the last four or five years is that God is radically into small. Americans are into big, God is into small. He is so into small. Uh, even when Jesus was born, he came a baby. It wasn't, wasn't 33-year-old Jesus splitting the sky, glowing on fire with a sword and riding a dragon. 
And by the way, he could have done that. It's well within his God prerogative. If he wanted to come fully grown, riding a golden dragon with a sword, he could have done it. And we would have all been subject to him, and we would have all given him glory, and it would have been great. But he didn't. He came as a baby. And one of the things that tells me is that God has a, he's saying something to us, even in the way that he came. God loves small. See, there's a deception in the bigger is better. And the deception is actually based upon a certain amount of truth. And it goes kind of like this. The deception starts here, starts with truth. And the truth is that living things grow. Everybody in the room knows that living things grow. Uh, Not only that, but if something is alive and healthy, it will grow, right? Living things grow. If it's alive and healthy, then it'll grow. And then at that point, that's where we become deceived. And it's entirely possible to shift our focus and our allegiance to simply doing whatever will give growth and away from what the Spirit may be saying or doing. Here's the real tragedy. The real tragedy is that you could end up doing things that do create growth that you can measure, things that are not led by the Spirit, and actually insulate yourself by your own success from hearing the voice of God. Does that make sense? Whoa, that's a hammer. See, I want everybody in the room to know something. It is true that living things grow. But how many of you also know that living things rest? How many of you went to bed last night and didn't do anything? Yeah. How many of you realize that living things go dormant? That the oak tree in your backyard goes dormant? And that it's actually good for that oak tree to have a season of dormancy. That's actually good. How many of you realize that, that seeds can be under the ground and things can be happening that you can't measure? So there's all, this, there's, there's all this dimensions of the unmeasurable, immeasurable, unknowable that's happening beneath the surface. And because we can't necessarily um, tally it, log it, count it, measure it, we sometimes will pass over that and say, I'm pressing on for the bigger. And in the midst, God was doing something underneath. He was doing something subterranean. He was doing something quiet. He was doing something in the dormancy. And we miss it. And by the way, Peter, at this point in the story in Acts chapter 10, Peter had lots of reasons to be ready for the big time. Lots of reasons to be ready for the big time. Peter could have been, if if it were me or you, we probably would have been totally different. Because in Acts chapter 9, two radical things happen. They're amazing. It's the best couple months of Peter's entire ministry. Peter raises up a lame man. And because the people in this town knew this lame man, uh, the entire town gives their life to Jesus. Huge revival. Raises up a lame man. People in that region everywhere. It's a town called Lydda. People put their trust into Jesus. Huge revival breaks out. And because of that, people in another town find out about it. And they say, Peter, there's a woman in our church. We love her. Her name is Dorcas. She has a terrible name, but we love her. And we want her to come. We want you to, she's dead and we want you to raise her up. And Peter comes over and he raises this dead woman to life. Now, how many of you realize that if... If, if that stuff had happened to you, you'd be ready for the big time, wouldn't you? Like, pulled a dead man, a dead woman up, just raised a lame man up. Everybody in the town gives their heart to Jesus. You'd be like, I need a bus. I need a publicist. I need an agent. I need a sound system. Bobby, I need a sound system. We're taking this thing to the arena, right? That's what we'd be doing. And you know where the Lord sent Peter? To a home group with people he didn't even like. Whoa, come on with that. What's crazy is if it were me, if I were Peter, if it were you, 
and this stuff happened to us, we wouldn't, we would go back to Jerusalem. We'd go to Louisville, man. We'd be like, I'm taking this to New York city. We go back to Jerusalem and it's hysterical. The Lord takes them in the exact opposite direction. If you're looking at the map, Joppa's here. The Lord says, go to Caesarea. I mean, actually he's in Lydda and he goes to Joppa and up to Caesarea and Jerusalem's here. The Lord takes them further away from Jerusalem. Unbelievable. The Lord's really into small. He's really into small. And by the way, one of the reasons he's really into small is because the Lord knows that a minority will always shape the hearts of the majority. It's always a minority who's shaping the hearts of the majority. We live with this American concept that like democracy is the voice of the majority. It really isn't. Democracy is the voice of a passionate minority catching a majority on fire. There's always a minority who is leading the majority. And God knows that things start really, really small. Little tiny mustard seed, biggest tree in the whole garden. Birds come and perch in it. You know, one of the things that's happening is it's like, it's like Esther, you know, Lord is totally into small. And it's Esther, she's like one babe and she saves the whole nation. It's like Jonathan and his armor bearer and they climb the mountain and they kill an entire Philistine regiment. Two dudes take on the regiment, game over. It's David and he has 400 rejects and they're hiding in a cave and the Lord says, I'm going to give the kingdom to them and David leads Israel into the golden age of peace and prosperity with 400 rejects who were in debt and depressed and that no one else wanted. David himself was the one that no one wanted. When the prophet came to his father's house and said, I'm going to anoint one of your sons, the father calls all of his sons except for David. I think it's interesting in 1 Samuel 16 that David doesn't even get an invite. Why? Because his father never considered that David could be the one. He's just the sheep herder. And God is like, I love the sheep herder that everyone overlooks. I love the little guy out in the field. I love the little thing that no one wants to look at or care about. And he says, I'll make him the king. And I'm going to give him some rejects that no one wants in the bottom of a cave. The Lord is always working in a minority. Jesus himself was just a nobody carpenter from a nobody town, and he had 12 hicks with him. I love Jesus' disciples because they're really, they're Kentucky boys. They are. They gave themselves away. Every time they spoke, they gave themselves away with their accent, you know? They were, they were not sophisticated people. They were Kentucky boys. They were a lot like, my dad. Well, pretty common. See, we need, we need, we need the connection that community and small groups provide because God is oftentimes doing the biggest things in the smallest places. And even right now, the Lord is touching people's hearts in the room right now. And the call of God is on you. And the call of God is on some people to like go across the globe and to go into a new nation. But then the call of God is on a lot of people in here just to drive across town and go hang out with some people in their home. It, it really is working that way. The second reason that we need community is because, and we need community groups, is because community groups tie us back into family. Uh, you know the thing that everybody wants, everybody who's alive, everybody in the room, everybody who's out there, the thing that everybody wants is family. Now, you might not say it that way. And in fact, if we were to talk 
personally, the thing you might say is the thing I most do not want is family. In fact, I hope I never see my family again. They're dead to me. My mom is crazy, and my dad's an idiot, and I never want to see him again. And even if you're that person, the thing you really, really want is family. The thing you really, really want is you want to be connected to something that you cannot be connected from. See, that's what family is. Family is connection to something you can't be disconnected from. You know, even if my father disowns me, I'm still a son. Like, he has actually no power to disown me. He can never not make me not his son. Family is the place where no matter what kind of a jerk you are, no matter what kind of an idiot you are, no matter what kind of bonkers decision you make, there's still a bed for you. You know? You can be totally out. You can be the black sheep. You know, there's still a place in the pen for the black sheep. And that's what we all want. And it shouldn't be lost here, church. It shouldn't be lost on you that when God decided to make a major move to see his kingdom break out of just Jewish territory and out of Jerusalem and out of Israel and into the Gentiles, into the nations, it shouldn't be lost on you that when God decided to make that move, he made that move to and through a family. That's a prophetic statement in itself. See, God could have done, he could have done this any way he wanted. God could have sent glowing orbs of fire over the nations and they could have had megaphones these glowing orbs and they could have said everyone in these nations get saved put your heart and trust in jesus if you don't it'll be bad for you uh go ahead and do it now pray this prayer with me god i'm a sinner and i need to repent he could have done it as well within his god prerogative And it's interesting to me that he didn't send glowing orbs with megaphones leading people in the sinner's prayer. It's interesting to me that when he wanted to go into the nations, he went into a family. Why? Because there's something about the church. The essence of the church is family. You know, there's a lot of metaphors in the New Testament for the church. There's the bride of Jesus. The church is a body. We've already talked about that a little bit. But by far, the most common metaphor for the church in the New Testament is family. Paul says that Timothy is his son. Paul says that the church is a household. Jesus is our older brother. God says, you got to get born again so that you can be a son and a daughter. This language is all over the New Testament. And the reason the language of family is all over the New Testament is because nothing quite captures the heart of God like family. You know, everyone in the room wants to have a father who will never give up on you. That's, I'm telling you, the thing that everybody in this room wants, whether you know it or not, you want a father who will not give up on you. Everybody in this room wants a father like the Luke chapter 15 father, who after his son had spent all of the father's money on prostitutes and gambling, comes home soaked in pig manure and slop, And his father is standing on the horizon looking for him. And without any judgment whatsoever, the father runs out to meet him. Runs out to meet him. Grabs him. And I'm sure the father was freshly showered. And he grabs this pig manure, pig slop son who had wasted his entire inheritance on prostitutes. And he grabs him and he says, kill the fatted calf. Bring a robe. Bring a finger. Bring a ring. (laughs) 
I preach for a living. By the way, Jesse, we're putting this one on the audio archive. Bring a ring, put it on his finger because my dead son is back to life. The thing you really want is everybody here wants a father like that. You want that father. And the good news, I have good news for you, is there is a father like that. There is a father like that. And it is desperately hard to get connected to him in an intimate, exchanging sort of way just right here on a Sunday morning. That, that really good father, he's, he's speaking through people who are here. Yeah, one of the things that's really happened in the last year is here at the Vineyard, we've, we've hit a new level of growth. And um, it's caused us to make some changes here at the church. Um, the, the church that you're in right now is radically different than the church that was here two years ago. Um, more people are getting touched. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. People are getting delivered from demonic oppression. Uh, things are happening. and It's really, really great. And because of that, more people want to come. And one of the things that I'm not going to do is I'm not going to stand at the back door and tell people, you know what, we're full, kids' church is already a little hectic, you can't come here. Peace. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. So what that means is that we've had to reorganize the way we do church. And as we've reorganized the way we do church, it changes the vibe. How many of you realize that when things get bigger, the vibe changes? How many of you realize that it's normal for a family to be, you know, three, four, five, six people, it's a little abnormal for your family to be four or five hundred people. Like we don't, we don't live in a house with five hundred people, right? Yeah, it's normal for your it's normal for your home to be six or eight people. It's normal to go to a family reunion with fifty people. That's kind of normal, but it's not normal to live in a home with five hundred people. And so one of the things that suffers as we grow is it one of the things that suffers, if I'm just being real here, is the family connection, the family vibe that this place has always had. It's, it's really strange. People are like, you know what, the vineyard is some the vineyard's kind of hard to get into. But once you're in, you're in. And that's because we have it's family. It's, you know, it's family. And so in order for us to keep the family vibe, we have to double down on our emphasis of meeting in home groups week to week. Uh, things are going to change on Sunday morning, and some of the family vibe isn't going to be quite the same. We're going to have to take on structures to help people that diminish aspects of the family vibe. I'm just being honest, which means that we more than ever need to double down on our commitment to being friends and being related at a week-to-week level in a home. Uh, the, the third thing, the third and final thing that I want to share with you guys out of this passage that just jumps off the page to me is just the supernatural aspect of, of this passage. Uh, any of you guys realize, did you take notice of how supernatural Acts chapter 10 is? It's like one supernatural thing right after another. It's really crazy. So Cornelius has an angelic encounter through a vision. Peter has a trance. I, you know, I've read the Bible my entire life. I still can't ex- entirely explain what a trance is to you. I've had very qualified spirit people try to explain trances to me. And when, I'm, when they're done telling me what a trance is, I'm even more confused about what a trance is. Full, full disclosure this morning. But, so we have trance. We have vision with an angel. We have Peter getting an impression from the spirit to go with men. We have specific prophetic details. And then when Peter preaches, 
the power of the Holy Spirit falls on them and they're speaking in tongues. There's just, it's like, from beginning to end, it's just supernatural. Well, what's the point? Well, the point is this, that it is normal and it is natural for Christians to experience the supernatural. It is normal and it is natural for Christians to experience the supernatural. It is not normal for a Christian to not experience the supernatural. If you've been following Jesus for 20 years and you've never experienced the, the supernatural, it's time to get back in prayer and say, God, it's in the book. I'm, I'm ready for you to show me. You've been cheated. I just want to say as a pastor, you've been cheated. Because it's natural for the supernatural to be a part of our lives as Christians. And one, the reason I want to bring this up is because home groups are a really great place to, to learn and to encounter the supernatural. It's a really great place to learn about the prophetic. It's a really great place to learn about how to pray for the sick. It's a really great pl- place to be baptized in the Spirit. It's a great place for that encounter to happen. You, you, you were made to encounter the supernatural realm. Uh, as I was praying this morning, uh, coming in, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and He, he said, he, he, he wanted me to tell you guys one thing, especially this morning. And the thing he wanted me to tell you was that your life was not meant to be one long, boring stretch of being saved. I got this exact phrase from the Holy Spirit this morning. He said, Adam, tell them their life is not supposed to be this one long, boring stretch of being saved. And one of the tragic things in the church is that it's filled with people whose lives are one long, boring stretch of being saved. Man, that's not, what the, that's not what life with Jesus is about at all. You can't find it in the Gospels, and you certainly can't find it in the book of Acts. You were made to have spirit encounters. Can I tell you something? Every person in the room was made to meet angels. We've all met demons. <laughs> I mean, this is the, the crazy thing. Everybody in the room's met demons. How many of you have met an angel? You're made to meet angels. And you know what? It's, it's supposed to be a regular part of our life. It's a, it's a regular part of heaven coming to earth. You were made to have a prophetic experiences. Every person in this room, your life and going forward in Jesus, is it, it depends upon visions and dreams, prophetic encounters, angelic experiences. You're, you're going to need it, and you were made for it. There's an, there's an excitement that is supposed to be in your life that comes from seeing the natural world collide with the supernatural world. You were made for that. Your body was actually perfectly constructed to encounter the spirit realm. You're not just flesh and bone, blood and guts and liver and gallbladder. You're, like between your liver and your gallbladder, somewhere in there, invisibly, is your spirit. And your spirit is perfectly crafted, made, designed, and attuned by God to meet the spirit realm. Like you don't need anything else right now to meet the spirit realm. You are perfectly constructed to walk on the earth. You've got two feet that can take you all over this earth. And at the same time, the Bible says that you are right now seated in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. Like you are in two places at one time. Some of you are like, you know what? I feel weird. One of the reasons you feel weird is because you're living in two dimensions at one time. One of the reasons you feel weird is because oftentimes you are walking and your spirit is aware of something that your body and your mind and your soul is not aware of. And the reason you're not aware of it is very simple. It's because we have trained ourselves to listen to the shouts and God is a God of the whisper. The spirit realm is, a God, is the realm of the whisper. It's the realm of the quiet. It's the realm of the subtle. It's the realm of the nuanced. 
you guys are having angelic encounters all the time, but we don't know it, we don't, we don't realize it, and we don't, we don't engage it because we've only been trained to see the shouting God who's actually whispering. Does this make sense? And home groups are a great place to learn this stuff. I learned how to prophesy in a home group. You know? And by the way, you really don't need to be trained to prophesy. All you need to do is you just need to hang out with a couple people who are prophesying and you'll start prophesying. You really don't need to be trained to pray for the sick. Just get in a room where somebody's praying for someone who's sick. Watch Bubba pray for two people and then you pray for the third one. You'll probably get them healed. It really does work that way. You don't need to be trained to encounter angels. You just need to be in an atmosphere where one or two people are aware of what's going on. And then the next time you'll be aware. Does this make sense? Yeah, and it, it, it's, your life is not meant to be boring. Life in Jesus is not meant to be boring. How many of you want to hear the Lord say, you know what I'd like you to do? I'd like you to go 30 miles across, across Kentucky. I'd like you to go to this little place, and you're going you're gonna to meet a guy, and when you meet that guy, I want you to get him and bring him back because that guy has a word for your family. How many of you would like to do that? And when you get there, that guy's got a word that he's supposed to come with you. Whoa, I think that stuff's supposed to happen in the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe in assignments. I believe in divine appointments. I believe in the angelic. I believe heaven is open. Yeah, Revelation chapter 4 says that John looked and he saw a door standing open in heaven. Uh, after I read that one day, I went ahead and I read the rest of the book and I couldn't find anywhere where the door was ever closed. Yeah, you know? So heaven is open and it never got closed. There, there are things that can pass through. Amen? Amen. Amen. Man, the Lord is here. Yeah, some of you are feeling like, a, anybody here feeling like just a slight weight resting on them? Anybody feel that? It's, it's a little bit warm, but it mostly feels like just a slight pressure. Anybody feeling that this morning? Yeah, that's actually, that's actually the glory of God. It just it came in the room about 10 minutes ago. Anybody in here feeling like a little heat on your cheeks? That's the, that's the anointing. It's the glory of God. Like something happened about 10 minutes ago. And we got into a little different dimension, and he's here. Now, after I've told that to you, how many of you are aware of something a little bit resting on you and your cheeks are a little rosy, right? Now, how many of you would normally just say, oh, that's nothing. Coffee must have been a little warm this morning. What did Bubba put in that roast? Nothing. It's Holy Ghost roast. (laughs) It really is. If you want to, we can we could have a big drink of Holy Ghost Rose. It's delicious. <laughs> it's delicious stuff. <laughs> Holy Ghost Roast is hectic. Oh man. Some of you are like, why is the pastor pausing? 
Because the Lord wants to do something. I'm just trying to wait and find out what he wants to do. It's called stalling in the spirit. Mm. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to stall here a minute. Bible says if you wait on the Lord, you'll get stronger. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Thanks, Lord. Oh, man, Lord, we love just being around you. Man, Holy Spirit, we love when you come in the room. Oh, my goodness. Man, I just love it when the love of God comes in the room. Yeah, Holy Spirit, would you just come and move over your people right now? Would you do things that only you can do? If you're on the ministry team, why don't you come on up this morning? Yeah, I feel like we're supposed to do two things here this morning that really aren't in my plan at all. My regular plan at this point is to tell you how you need to sign up for a home group with Jesse. So you can do that afterwards. You really should do that. You need it. But I also feel like, um, just as we've been hanging out here, that there are some people the Lord wants to set free this morning. And uh, the thing that the Lord wants, there's some people here that the Lord wants to set free because your earthly family has destroyed your ability to trust in a loving God who just loves you, whether you never change or do anything good. And even as I say that, you know it's you. It's like, wow, that's just, that's slamming me. Like my father was a huge jerk. And the thing I want more than anything else is I want a really good father. And the Lord is here in the room this morning to set people free from uh, the angry God complex. Uh, God is not actually angry at all. He is very happy and he's in a great mood. Even as I said that, there's, there's, I feel like there's a few people in the room who when I said uh, God is not angry and he's in a good mood, it actually made you mad. It's especially for you. He's not even angry with you about being angry that he's not angry. He loves you. He calls you son. Mm-hmm. I also feel like this morning that there is uh, there is grace from the Holy Spirit uh, for people here who want to have spirit encounters. Who who just realize that, wow, I've lived a bored, saved life. I got saved and, wow, my life got really bored. Does that make sense? So what I want you to do, why don't you stand up this morning? I want to pray for you. And if any of that is for you, I want you to come on down. We normally don't do altar call, but we are this morning. We are... We're a little bit Baptist this morning. So if you need if you need the Lord right now, if you need the Lord to heal if you need the Lord to heal your father complex, I want you to come up right now. If you if you're in desperate need of spirit encounters, if you've realized that you have lived a radically unsupernatural life, if you realize that the Bible seems more like a story rather than everyday life, then I want you to come forward right now and we want to pray for you. Come on up. Don't be shy. Come on down. It's the price is right.
There's a blessing. Come on down. I'm going to need some more people on ministry team. So if you've been trained, come on down. Come on in. Come on down. Thanks, Lord. If you need prayer this morning, come on around the front. Just come on around. If you're here for prayer, come on around. Yeah, the rest of you, why don't you just put your hand on your heart this morning? Father, we just love you so much. Father, I ask that you would release a revelation of your goodness and your kindness this morning. God, would you release uh, the reality of your joy into your people this morning? God, for those of us who are convinced that you are really mad, that you are full of judgment, and that you are pushing judgment pianos out of heaven onto people, and when you do it, that you're laughing, God, I ask that you would deliver us from that right now. God, would you help us? Father, I also ask that you would that you would baptize us into spirit encounters. Father, we, we ask for a baptism of the Spirit this morning. We ask for a baptism of the Holy Spirit this morning. We ask that deep would cry out to deep. Father, we ask that the, the reservoirs of our heart would begin to resonate with the reservoirs of heaven. Father, we ask for a release of the not boring supernatural life. And even right now, I just take authority over the spirit realm in this room, and I release signs and wonders. I release dreams and visions. I release angelic encounters. I say you don't have to be a super spiritual person. You could be a person who doesn't even fast and have an encounter with God. You could, you could be a person who eats, who eats lots of hamburgers and barbecue chips and drinks four Cokes in a row and watches four football games and still have a spirit encounter. You could even eat a sonic one-foot-long chili dog and have an spirit encounter with the Lord. You could. And Lord, we, just, we break the power uh, off of, of this mindset that says we have to earn a spirit encounter. God, we haven't earned anything from you. And God, we, just, we, receive, we receive from you right now. We receive from you right now. Yeah, I think we ought to do one more thing real fun and then we'll be done. Okay. Hey, how many of y'all want to, let's, why don't we take a sip of Holy Ghost roast? Anybody want to do that? All right. Get your, get your mugs up. All right, Lord, would you fill it? All right, go ahead and just take that down. Oh man. Isn't that good? Amen. That was the benediction. Hey, give somebody a high five. Give somebody a hug. If you need ministry this morning.